everyone. My name is Joshua Gilliland, one of the bloggers on The Legal Geeks. With me today is Jack Yang. Jack and I both shop at Elusive Comics and Games. It's true. I've been here for... God, I've been coming here for over 20 years, actually, over three different owners. And um, Anna's actually probably one of the best owners of the entire store. She's built a great community around this entire store and shop. It's awesome. I love coming here because there are a lot of the comic stores that are set up like they're the Batcave. They're kind of dark and things are hard to find. This place is very welcoming, very bright, well-lit. Love Steve and everybody at Perry, everybody who works here, they're a lot of fun. Yeah, great collection, great people. And it's like it just feels comfortable. It feels fun to be here. It feels like a community at the end of the day. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, Jack, uh, you do uh, data security, cybersecurity, and privacy in your practice. Yes, that's correct. I work in-house. I work in-house right now for a, a large organization and basically focus on data security, cybersecurity, and privacy issues within the organization. In fact, I basically I head privacy for the organization I'm at. And you wrote a great blog post for us this year on the privacy issues from X-Men with Professor X. Yes, his um, telepathic skills really, really do raise some significant privacy issues. In fact, actually, I read your last post about Santa Claus and his privacy issues. You know, next year, we'll talk about what his compliance issues are, too. That and what happens if you're on the naughty list and there's a data breach? So there's a lot of issues there. You know, a lot of issues there, and then basically you know, what, what recourse does one have if one is on the naughty list? Do you have due process to be able to get off of that list? You know, is there a way to opt out of being on the list if you don't believe in him anymore? Should you opt out if you don't believe them in the first instance? And if you're not following the social contract of leaving cookies and milk out, is that your way of opting out? Aye, that's a good question. We'll dive into that more when we get ready for next Christmas. But yes. right now, you know, your blog post was the first one mentioned by the ABA when we were named to the ABA Journal Top 100 for this year. I didn't actually even realize that. <laughs> I, when I read that, I was like... <laughs> First one they're talking about is Jack's article. This is fantastic. So, and it was one of the top posts of the year. I think it was, might have been definitely top 20, maybe top 15. I need to go back and look at the numbers. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you've, we hung out at San Diego Comic Con together. And our mutual friend, Neil, uh, was the one who said, you guys would probably get along. Yeah, I think Neil's spot on with that one. We get along great at the end of the day. And San Diego was a heck of a lot of fun at the end of the day, too. I look forward to doing that again. Hope so. Hope so. Which, Which brings us to our topic today. 2017 is the 40th anniversary of Star Wars. Yes, remember it well. Uh, I, I, I was three, and uh, <laughs> I have vague memories. I, I remember being the confused five-year-old wondering where I saw the double sunset, mm-hmm. and that really scarred me as a child because I was really confused trying to figure out where did I see that double sunset. <laughs> I, was in, I was in fifth grade, and I remember last day of school, um, my cousin, my brother, picked me up from school and basically immediately went to the theater to go see the go see it midday, and it was awesome. So I I remember seeing Empire opening weekend, and we uh-huh. saw it over at the Century Twenty One Twenty Two, mm-hmm. and I remember being in the parking lot on a big blanket with my mom as we sneaked through the parking lot, and I recently went uh, to Santana Rel and parked over there, mm-hmm. and it was weird, kind of. I purposely walked around trying to retrace where we were, 
all those years ago in 1980. Yeah. It's, but Star Wars has many things that we can talk about. And being the 40th anniversary, there's a lot I want to celebrate this year. And with Rogue One uh, and New Hope, they go wonderfully together for talking about data security. No, absolutely. Absolutely. They, um, you know, the Empire... Empire has some really good security in certain aspects, but if you're going to judge them by today's standards, you they might have some things that they actually want to improve. Well, let's talk about what you think are some of the key scenes with data security we should talk about today. Well, maybe we'll just start back a little bit around like mm-hmm. what information security is and like how how it matters. Okay. Yes. So, not not everyone sense. thinks in terms of data breaches and litigation holds that follow and everything. So yes, let's let's. Talk about what is data security. Right, so, from a data security perspective, like what is the what's the purpose? Right? You have valuable information, people, resources. You want to protect. You want to either protect their confidentiality, the information getting out. You want to make certain it is its integrity is maintained. You also want to make certain that it's actually always available. Right. And when you think about information security, if you, uh, you can look at the. National Institute of Science and Technology, they have a set of five basic information security principles. You must identify, which means basically you must understand the assets that you actually have you want to protect, and also those that actually get access to them. You have to protect them. You have to then, going beyond that, you have to also be proactive, and you have to go out of your way to make sure that you're trying to find people who are trying to break into your systems all the time. And once once you do that, if you find somebody that's trying to break into your system, you got to respond immediately. And then finally, if you experience a breach, you have to have the maintain. You have to have the ability to recover and reassess what went wrong, what should you change next time, that, that type of thing. And so, when you think about going back to the um, the empire, you know, there are really three basic spheres that you're supposed to be protecting. There's the physical sphere, which is basically your you know, your fortresses, your star destroyers, and all these other things. Or Death Star, which is actually a sphere. Yes, that's true. Or you have your network, mm-hmm. your, um, your, basically your computer networks. Um, and then you also have information controls. How do you protect the information, the most sensitive information itself? And the different techniques of doing all of that stuff. So, as I mentioned, um, you know, the Empire tends to focus on physical security. Tons of star destroyers, very menacing star troopers, stormtroopers, tons of uh, tons of physical security, but you know they tend to lack a little bit when it comes to network security, and actually they even have lapses in some of the physical security as well. But the network security and the way that they actually manage assets as well. So that's kind of the the the, the framework which we should think of, think about these things. So. So the data that's at the heart of the story, Yes, it's the key issue in Rogue One, it's put into play for New Hope, is the plans to the Death Star. Absolutely true. Let's talk about where those Death Star plans were housed, and in the codename Stardust, and your view of the security that the Empire had to protect the Death Star plans in Scarif. So in Scarif, so first of all, one good thing, they put in one of their highest, most protected, secure facilities in their their entire organization. 
heavily armed fortress. The whole concept behind Rogue One, the thought that you have this ragtag group of people going in against all odds to try to actually recover these plans. It's reminiscent of um, the Guns of Navarone, you know, in those classic World War II films. So from a physical security perspective, very, very good place to put your plans. Maybe the only better place would be where was, was, would be um, Darth Vader's home. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was that planet called? Mustafar. Mustafar, sorry. Yes, absolutely. That might have been a little bit better to put the Death Star plans there, but they chose this very secure military installation. Um, and but and the one thing, the, a couple things about when you may think, but setting aside the physical security aspects of it, think about the information security aspects of it. The, Death, the, the Empire ha- keeps all of their sensitive plans for every single installation, every single organization, every single system in one big data store. Not only is it one data store, but it's one physical data store. And it's literally a giant set of tape arrays. Well, maybe not tape arrays. Maybe they're actually, uh, let's assume that they're involved like flash RAM arrays of some sort. Um, You know, if you're gonna have something that sensitive, let's put it this way. The Coca-Cola formula has somewhere between 15 to 20 ingredients. The formula is split up between the five, seven different pieces, and it's spread across safes across different parts of the world that nobody has access to. And that's where 20 ingredients, right? Imagine you have something as complicated as a Death Star, and yet you have the complete plans in one place, under one file name. Under a file name that is established by somebody who was hired under duress in the first instance. If there's anybody you're not going to trust, it might be the one that basically you forcibly actually choose to actually build the uh, build the uh, uh, the design your your Death Star. And you murdered his wife in front of him. Yes, that 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 might that might be a cause for some concern. Right? So you would think that from the perspective of being able to watch him or otherwise, you wouldn't give him permission to actually name the files at which they're actually doing that because. Well, look, that's the whole key to the film. Oh, spoiler alert. That's the whole key to the film, their ability to actually find the find the actual file that they needed to translate, uh, upload, was based on information that only his daughter would know. Right. Good storytelling. It's great storytelling. Well, you know, look, it, it, it's like anything else in technology, right? If they had perfect, if they, if they had perfect information security and physical security, there would be no movie. You know, yeah. the, Luke would still be a water farmer on, on tattooing. Yeah, and you know, it is the hero's journey, and all of them are to, to different degrees. You know, the trilogy, the first trilogy, is Luke's journey. Yeah, and and for Jin, you know, hers has collapsed into one film. Yes, unfortunately, so. You know, I like the fact that her contract did call for two movies because mm-hmm. they. That the original plan was not to bump everybody off, mm-hmm. uh, but she was great. And, and we're recording this prior to her hosting Saturday Night Live, but I'm excited to see that and the fact that they're embracing being geeks and have done promos with stormtroopers in the audience. That looks like a lot of fun. It is going to be a lot of fun, definitely. So, talking about going back to information mm-hmm. security. So, so we talked about the physical aspects of it. It's basically this the way that the star plans were actually stored. Um, and that, that's, an, that's an aspect of that third category of like of data security. 
Think about it from another perspective. What about those Death Star plans? If those are the most important plans to your super secret weapon, why wouldn't you just encrypt the data? That's a great question. You know, the do Empire does run on the doctrine of fear, and they might have been a little overconfident in people just being terrified of the Emperor or Tarkin, because when you think about how the Empire rolls, you have a group that apparently does not have any HR. You have Vader force choking people left and right to send a message. There's no perf performance improvement plans. It's you get force choked. Or in Tarkin's case, you know, uh, that you're looking at a planet that has a battle going on, he gives the order to blow up the base with his own people on it. Horrible for morale. Well, yes, it is horrible for morale, certainly from an HR perspective. I don't think, um, I, I hope the 401k is actually good at the end of the day. Well, that and, you know, a lot of countries with their military, they have compensation they pay out for if people are lost in battle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, there could be different amounts for the, the death benefit rate for, for a different country. But when you think about the number of Imperials who died in Rogue One and what that would cost, and then the number lost on the Death Star. Yes, yes, it's true. It is true. It could, it, you know, the Empire could actually have just fallen from economic collapse, the rebellion would, might, might not have even been necessary at the end of the day. Well, it's, it's lessons in asymmetrical warfare. When you look at how nations, great nations, are defeated by ragtag groups of people, whether it's the American Revolution or, say, Afghanistan with the Soviet Union, it's you bleed them to death. Mm -hmm. And arguably that's what the uh, rebels did to the empire. When you look at the cost of of the Death Stars. Yes, that's the multiple Death Stars. Well, so, let's, let's keep talking about you know, the different security issues as, as you see this. Because okay. I do e-discovery. And mm -hmm. so my worldview is like collecting data, call it down, review it. Mm -hmm. And you know, the advent of big data breach cases, you know, like that's touched into my world from like the litigation hold perspective. Because sure. it, it is a triggering event. Mm -hmm. and can have multiple triggers because there's the incident and then there's the issue of actual harm. Mm -hmm. Like somebody, you know, getting charged an extra, you know, a couple grand by a hacker. Yes. So like there's physical harm to that individual whose bank account just, just lost a couple grand. But that's not my world. This this is your world. So from so let's let's think about that. So I come at it from different perspectives. Basically uh -huh. how do you how do you prevent those types of incidents from occurring in the first instance so they don't have to come visiting you about e-discovery? And also, you don't have, and also, um, you look at it from the perspective of just how do you kind of manage this in a way? Because the best security would be actually to have no information whatsoever, right? Or to give nobody access to it, right? But of course, there's, so there's always a balance between security and also accessibility, right? You can't run your business. Yeah, it's like saying you can't hack paper, so instead of using computers, we're going to use the Gutenberg press mm -hmm. and do everything by hand the hard way, and we're going to roll it back to the 16th century, yeah. and like no one's going to do that. That's true. You know, we are reintroducing back those vacuum um, delivery systems for tubes. But in the case of, of, um, of Rogue One, let's talk about some of the primary issues first. So... 
we talked about physical access controls, right? So let's talk about two physical access controls. One is one of the primary principles is that you're supposed to be able to identify and know all your assets which are supposed to be able to get access to systems or uh, systems or to um, rooms and facilities. So that, that, that applies to the physical layer as well as the network layer. Right? So in, in Rogue One, you have a couple situations. Which First, you have this stolen Imperial transport, which the, uh, which the small ragtag team from Rogue One actually uses to get access to Scarif in the first instance, right? So that was clearly, they clearly identified that as a shuttle which had been stolen, right? If you, if you were the Empire and you knew that an asset should be lost, they should have actually registered that ship as missing, and then so when, it, when the call sign or some other aspect of it came back onto the grid, it should be it should have been immediately quarantined or, or destroyed. But fortunately, you know, well, of course, that was at least acknowledged by the film itself. Yeah, that that basically they were hoping that maybe that ship wasn't um, that they were. They were their big gamble was that ship hadn't actually been taken off the log. So you can kind of give the Empire a little bit of credit on that particular issue. Yeah, they at least acknowledged it. It was a plot point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Brooke talked about it. Yes. So they, I give them credit because they at least, you know, was part of the gamble of yes. have they been red flagged and, you know, they do the, you know, their version of the Jedi mind trick without the Jedi part. Yes, absolutely. You're saying, oh, we got diverted. You know, please don't shoot us down. Yes. Now, the other one, KS2O, though. Okay. So you got this military, you got this military droid. The military droid who has been hacked and reprogrammed by the rebellion. Right. So, again, whether you want to call, um, KS2O, a droid, or or some or basically a computer, an access device. Some people might call them a BYOD, a you know, bring your own droid. And and I'm, by the way, I do have to give credit to Kelman Megnew, um, who was at the in 2012 coined this term BYOD droid um, <laughs> when he was security and when he was the head of security engineering at Checkpoint Technologies. He did a presentation on this. And I've got to give him credit for that. Um, but, again, this is an asset that was lost from the Empire. And when he returns back into the system, he's immediately able to log into, basically connect into their systems and basically gain information again from them. Now, proper information access controls mean that if, if you knew this a device was lost or stolen, what's the first thing you do? You cut off access to the device. Of course... Doesn't drive the plot forward if you um, if you if poor KS two O basically is just blocked out of the entire thing. Yeah, the droids in Star Wars are like walking or rolling USB drives. Yes, they are. To you know the number of times that R two D two saved the day by plugging into either the Death Star or any Imperial facility or Cloud City to find out information is kind of wild. Well, yeah, absolutely. And that's actually, you know, to move on across that, this is like one of those things where basically R2-D2 is either, 
be he's either like the perfect hacking hacking rope droid or basically it's an indication of just how poor and how persistent their information security is throughout this throughout the entire trilogy the fact that you have this rebellion droid who's unregistered able to not only just physically connect to their network but also be able to actually pull information out of it to find the princess in new hope that shouldn't have been able to happen. And that, that goes to the fact that, again, poor network controls at the information security, at the, um, at the network layer. Yeah, I think of friends who are in the military. Mm-hmm. And so uh, before Christmas, I did headshots for my uh, buddy in the Coast Guard. Yep. So they went in, all the Coast Guard reservists came in, they had, they had lost their photographer, so I played photographer for them. I, I then asked, hey, how do you want the photos? Because number of gigs, easy just to pop it onto a uh, flash drive and give it to them that way. Yes. None of the government computers have USB ports. Mm, yes. And so they all require a security card to even use the machine to begin with. Mm-hmm. So our government, which was probably lessons learned the hard way, you can't use a USB drive. Yes. Because of security issues. No, absolutely true. On the flip side, we have all these droids with AI in the Star Wars universe that can just plug in. Yes, it, it, is, it, is, it is an interesting question as to why all these droids have these universal communication um, interfaces that allow them to communicate. And, you know, it is just one of those things you just got to accept it. As an information security professional... You just got to accept it and enjoy the movie at some point. Yeah, same here. I mean, while it's tough for me to turn off being a lawyer, mm-hmm. and I go like, that wouldn't, that doesn't make sense. That seems horrible. You know, the, the, the political science student still in me looks at how the empire functioned as a regime. It mm-hmm. was terror-driven. It was brutal. You watch the cartoon Rebels, mm-hmm. and here's a government that calls in the military to do airstrikes for law enforcement. Yes. So... That's a bad place to live. It is a bad place. It, it, it kind of stinks to live under them quite clearly. Yeah, so that's my gut feeling on why things might be so laxed is because their entire culture is based upon a political system that is oppression, that is cruelty. And, and as a result, why would you, why would you assume that, there would, that, that you would need to protect the inside of your fortress, your networks, and your, and your data. You know, that's, actually, that, then that's actually the, um, um, that's the fundamental fallacy. Those are the types of organizations that need it the most. You know, you use, oftentimes in information security, you use the analogy of protecting the castle. Well, you got the, the big walls inside, and then once you get over that big wall, what, what happens? Well, the empire is kind of just rid- continues to be riddled with that, um, riddled with flaws in that. So, if you want, we can move on a little bit more to, a, to some other issues. Yeah, I'd like to because when you think of Scarf, it did have a giant antenna on it. Mm-hmm. That's true. I mean, and it's interesting that transmission tower. It's unusual from an information security perspective to think that you'd have this massive transmission tower sitting on top of all of the most sensitive information and having no access controls around who can actually access that transmission. Like, it's, like, it's one thing to be a physical access to it, but then also being able to um, authenticate who sh- who's entitled to be able to get access to that communication port in the second instance. So they shouldn't have been able to have been able to access that 
that communication tower in the first instance, either physically or basically be able to log in and actually transmit data. Now, the other aspect of it, think about this. You have this massive communication tower that is designed by and for the empire. And what did they have to do as one of the major plot points of Rogue One? They had to change the transmission frequency to a set of known rebel transmission frequencies so they could transmit the data out. If you're trying to uh, make certain that sensitive information is not leaving your systems, one, one of the things you can do is actually just limit the number of channels in which that information can be transmitted. So it should have been pretty clear to the Empire that, huh, something isn't going quite right if suddenly their massive communication tower is being directed towards a rebel frequency. They should have just not, that, that port or that communication line should have just automatically been A, not available, or B, just turned off the minute it was, um, that it was used. But prior to using the, the tower, I do think there was one thing that they did right. They did have biometric security in order to get to the tower. Because yes. they did have to take the knocked out Imperial or dead Imperial, I'm not sure which, mm -hmm. and use his handprint to get into the, the data colo mm -hmm. in order to use the hands to, to find um, Stardust. So they're not completely... That, that, that is true. They, they did actually do that right. And the, in modern biometrics, um, they don't only check for, they don't actually check for a match of the handprint, but they actually check as to whether there's a pulse at the same time. Mm -hmm. So again, that issue of levels of security, uh, checking for the pulse, and, and otherwise, you know, let's put it this way, I would give them, I would give them kind of a, a plus one for the biometric security. Um, because at some point you have to be reasonable, right? Yeah, and if they if they had had biometric security on the antenna itself, so in order to change it, if they had say had to shoot Kenrick mm -hmm. and then use his handprint or thumbprint in order to access it, that at least would have been a stronger plot point for. But but few people write movies going, let's work in data security or. That is true. That is true. The, the data security thrillers are coming. You know. It's, you know, think of... <clears throat> Sneakers? Uh, or uh, any of the Jack Ryan movies. Yes. So, uh, Patriot Games and uh, Clear and Present Danger. I'm like, you know, they, they do, they can't have their place. So. Absolutely true. You know, and actually, while talking about single points, if you had single points of communication... Mm -hmm. Well, I think one of the other things we can talk about is single points of failure. Hmm. So think about it from this perspective. you got a planet force field in which you have one entrance, egress, and ingress point above the planet, and a shield is being generated around that. Now, how about it took a Star Destroyer to basically kind of crash into it and actually destroy it and release that force field so they could actually send the communication outside. So it was a very effective control, but it was nonetheless a single point of failure. Yeah. Like you take out that um you take out that one point and basically that that entire planet is defenseless. So you're assuming that that, that single point of failure you're gonna be able to defend that single point of failure. And you know, I want, we, we can talk about one. We might as well go and talk about one of the other aspects of information security too. At the same time, there's one thing about learning from your mistakes, right? If 
breaches, incidents are supposed to happen. We know they're going to happen. You assume they're going to happen. Um, but one of the things that you have to do from an information security perspective is make certain that you learn from them. Otherwise, you are doomed to repeat them. You are doomed to repeat those failures. So think about this. Let's, let's fast forward all the way to Return of the Jedi. I was, I was like, I think I know where you're going. Yes. Yeah. So, so you know, the time frame. You think about some of the the massive security issues that occurred in Rogue One, and normally you would say, well, geez, in New Hope, they didn't actually uh, correct any of the issues. But when you think about the time frame, yeah, it's probably 24 to 48 hours between the end of Rogue One to the ultimate destruction of the Death Star. It's somewhere. Like, you know, let's even give it three or four days, maybe mm-hmm. at most. But still, that's not enough. There's probably not enough time for them to assess and reassess. Mm-hmm. But fast forward, you know, what is it? What's the time frame between Return of the Jedi and the New Hope? It's like 20 years, 15, 20 years, 10? Well, you mean uh, Rogue, Rogue One to Re- Return of the Jedi? Yeah. Probably five. Okay. So certainly enough time. Mm-hmm. Certainly enough time for you to assess your information security and your and what went wrong. But so let's talk about Return of the Jedi. Again, you have a single you have a single force field generator on a planet protecting again your second super weapon. And a small ragtag team goes in again and yet destroys that tower, leaving it basically defenseless. Worse yet, Ewoks. Yes. You're defeated by Ewoks. I mean, you know, like being defeated by Jar Jar is actually just that much more embarrassing in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, it's a step above. Yes, just slightly. And I mean, at least Ewoks eat people, so you do have that. Yes. So I mean, they are they are vicious little teddy bears that will barbecue a human being. And what did they have at that feast? It had to be Imperials. Yes, you would think so because you know they had those stormtrooper helmets at the end. Yeah, it's. It's it, is it like crack crab? I'm like when you think about it, it's it's too horrifying to contemplate. Mm-hmm. Absolutely true. So yeah, I think the one the biggest probably the biggest failing of the empire, uh, from my perspective, is not that they had information security incidents. Information security incidents are going to happen, but the fact that they actually didn't learn from them, and even well, even if you move all the way to the Force Awakens again today single points of failure. You have, again, one, you have this giant exhaust port, a giant exhaust port built intentionally, and it's really not defended. It's really not protected once you get inside the shield again. So again, single point of failure. The curious is to find out what happens in episode eight and whether they um, whether they repeat this yet again. There, there are multiple lessons that I also see because from the plot point of Return of the Jedi, the Emperor exploits rebel confidence in their spy network because the Bothan spies are kind of like Rogue One. Mm-hmm. They get the plans. Many of them die, probably all of them, in getting the, the plans to the rebellion. And that was all by design of the Emperor mm-hmm. who learned arguably learn from Rogue One, going like, okay, so they stole it from us, why don't we just do that again to lure them into a trap? Mm-hmm. But you, then they run into all the issues that they had. Because they got perfect, perfectly well-laid plans and inadequate information security controls are the downfall again. Well, that and, you know, the fact Luke could steal an Imperial shuttle. Yes. 
and be able to access it again and be able to access it. This you're absolutely right. It just it just dooms doomed to repeat itself. Yeah, unless use Vader's handprint or something. It, so there are all of those issues. Um, and so anyone writing episode, if they're doing any reshoots or anything on 8 or thinking about 9 or the Han Solo film, uh, both Jack and I are available for consultation. No, it's true. Uh, yeah, you, we wouldn't charge. We'd be more than happy to help. So <laughs> we'd be giddy to be there. So I think, they, I think that's absolutely true. And, and, think, and the, the, let's talk about that very ending, that last, that last piece where Darth Vader finds finds the um, the, finds the rebellion um, the rebellion craft in the beginning, the op- which leads to the opening scene of um, A New Hope. They know the plans are on that ship. They know the plans are there. Yet, and yet, in the New Hope, again, what would be the number one thing you should actually do under those circumstances? If you have walking, talking droids or bring your own devices or USB drives, wouldn't you actually just hold on to all of them and lock them down? Right? There's that scene at the very beginning which they they scan the escape pod as it's flying down to Tatooine and they said, oh, there are no life signs on it, and they choose not to destroy it, which leads R2 and C-3PO on their journey to find uh, Ben Kenobi, Obi-Wan. You know, if they'd either just destroyed that escape pod, or knowing that they were looking for plans, basically just immediately told somebody that something uh, that that pod, that that pod was, had been launched and somebody had to go look for it immediately, again, you would have no, you would still have no episode four, five, and six. It's the overconfidence of the Empire that's their downfall. I think that's right. And not learning from the mistakes, as you've highlighted, you know, the fact that they take the position of let's, let's not waste ammo or it's not even at least target practice. Yeah. And it's brute overconfidence. Or they are so fear-driven because you have senior management that has no problem killing their own troops that maybe no one wants to do anything that could be considered a mistake. That, that, that is true. And that actually is a weakness that, that actually can be a problem in... in modern corporations today, not just in the Star Wars universe. People get fearful of being able to, um, of, be, of being found out if there are mistakes that have been made. You know, at the end of the day, if you have a good corporate culture that acknowledges that mistakes can be made, that things can happen, and learns from them, that is the type of culture in this day and age you need to be able to encourage within your organizations in order to keep your information secure. You have to constantly be, constantly be um, introspective uh-huh. to figure out what your problems are because you know what? They're evolving every minute of every day. Yeah. No one wants to be Captain Nita. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's the problem of the Empire because no one wants to learn from the mistakes or go to Vader or Tarkin or the Emperor and go like, hey, we learned of this mistake because mm-hmm. they don't want to be force choked, force lightning, or shot. Yes. To- totally makes sense why that kind of government could fall. Yes, absolutely. I, I agree with you, Josh. Well, it's, I mean, we have a nice historical example of it. Mm-hmm. The landing at Normandy. Mm-hmm. No one wanted to call and wake up Hitler. Mm-hmm. And because they put in so many command control functions that they needed the Fuhrer's okay to do anything, 
is why the Normandy landing was successful. Yes, and because nobody expected anybody to send that many troops over that particular beach to be able to solve the problem. It's like they, 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 there was no pre-planning that could have anticipated that. And then again, no reaction. Like the reaction was poor. So there are nice historical examples that we can at least look at. So it's not like the empire is off on its own and just being a fictional world mm -hmm. that doesn't learn from its mistakes, that has bad uh, culture. Well, you know, it, it, it just really boils down to that simple adage that um, good information security practice, practices, clear communication, don't make good movies. No, no, there, there are no found footage documentaries of document review. Yes. I mean, it'd be boring. It, it is true. It'd just be people clicking relevant, not relevant, and or super hot. It, it wouldn't, wouldn't be a good flick. You know, but if you actually did it over a music montage, and then and, and basically, and that, I think that would actually make it more interesting. It could. I mean, but again, John Williams could make anything more exciting. That's so, absolutely true. So with that, I want to thank all of our friends at Elusive because this is a wonderful place and it's great to come here and they let us use their podcast room and it's a lot of fun. And you know, Jack, thanks for coming out and that uh, we both did our shopping and uh, recorded a podcast. Yeah, so great. Thank you very much, Josh. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Look forward to writing more articles and doing more podcasts in the future. And also thanks to Elusive and thanks to Anna in particular. Exactly. So with that, America, stay geeky. Stay geeky, America.